yep, just, yep, yep, great, good. Left hand down a bit. Thank you very much. That's cool. Yes, thank you, Moren, everyone. Lovely to see you. If I hold this the right way, it should work. Yep. Ko Jean Rhodes Toko Ngoa, Ko Erani Aho, Ko Ben Madigan Toko Monga, Ko The Lagan Toko Awa. I see that hand. <laughs> ko George Toko Papa, Ko Margaret Toko Mama. I was born in Belfast under the shadow of Cave Hill. Right. So I've got it holding it the wrong way. That should work. No. Um, whoa, excellent. Um, that's in Belfast. I turned five on the boat coming out to New Zealand after my dad decided to accept a job as cost accountant with New Zealand paper mills. He flew out ahead of us, and my mum had to pack up house and get we four children onto the boat, the Strathaird. The crew put on events for the kids. And here I am with one of my older sisters at a fancy dress party. Linda's wearing the lovely blue fairy dress with wings and sequins, and I'm wearing my undies with a sign around my neck saying, National Health Baby. <laughs> my poor mum had obviously run out of ideas. I started school at Three Kings Primary School. Are we there? Yep. And there, I'm in the middle there, looking like a little eager beaver, where Miss Ford, the new entrance teacher, told me, I'll never make a teacher. I guess my career in the profession for most of my adult life proved that prediction wrong. In today's passage, Paul mentions things educational to drive home his point that rule keeping doesn't work. The term he uses is that of pedagogus, usually a Greek slave who babysat the sons of Romans making sure they got to school, didn't get into mischief, and often tutoring them in Greek. Let's see what Paul says. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian or a pedagogus. For 1,500 years of Mosaic law, people tried to keep it all. And for 1,500 years, they failed. Over and over again, generation after generation. The law, or the schoolmaster, was in the process of leading God's children to the foot of the cross, where they would meet their true teacher. No matter how many wonderful rules we can list, we'll never make it on our own, says Paul. 
And the good news is, friends, we don't have to. God has provided an entirely new way to be in relationship with him. We're going to see a little clip from the YouTube uh, story of the chosen. And it's where Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. Thank you, guys. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Perhaps we could just keep watching that. <laughs> I love this clip. And the words, get used to different, because that's exactly what was happening with Matthew and Jesus. It definitely describes what the Galatians were experiencing as they came to an understanding of the work of the cross. In Galatians 3, 26, 27, so in Christ Jesus, 
you are all children of God through faith. You who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Or as the message puts it, your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start, it also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life. David Guzik, who writes online commentaries for Enduring Word, says here, using the picture of baptism, Paul illustrates what it means to have faith in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say we were baptized into water, but baptized into, into Christ. Just as in water baptism a person is immersed in water, so when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, we are immersed in Jesus. Many Christians seem content with just dipping a bit into Jesus. God wants us to be fully immersed in Jesus, not sprinkled, not just a part of us dipped. When a person is immersed in water, you don't even see the person much anymore. You mostly see the water. When we live as baptized into Christ, you don't see so much of me anymore. You mostly see Jesus. A few years ago, I got a lesson in this very truth. As I was heading into the supermarket one day, not long after the mosque shootings in Christchurch, I saw an older couple ahead of me. They were unremarkable, easily lost in a crowd, you could say. And the mere fact that I describe them this way shows that I pass some kind of judgment about them. Anyway, as I was starting to shop, I noticed that this couple had made their way over to the young Muslim woman who was in charge of the bulk goods area. And they were obviously checking how she was coping with everything. They leaned towards her, listening intently, radiating care. And I heard the Holy Spirit say clearly to me, Jean, this couple are doing the work of the Father they are not unremarkable. I felt as though I was watching Jesus. Guzik goes on to say, it should be stressed that this is the baptism that really saves us, our immersion into Jesus. If a person isn't baptized into Christ, he could be dunked in water a thousand times and it would make no eternal difference. If a person has been baptized into Christ, then they should follow through and do what Jesus told them to do. Receive baptism as a demonstration of their deep commitment to Christ. Are you baptized in Christ, fully immersed in him? Is it time to follow Jesus' example and be baptized as a declaration of your faith already in him. We have a baptistry here. If you feel the Lord on your faith journey, then talk to Rob about it. Verse 27 goes on to say,
you have clothed yourselves with Christ. Another way of expressing our immersion in Jesus is to say that we have put on Christ. In the original language, the phrase has the idea of putting on a suit of clothes. So we clothe ourselves with Jesus as our identity. How we dress has a real impact on how we think and act, as well as how other people perceive us. There are times when our choice of clothes need to be appropriate to the occasion we're in. You may remember Trini and Susanna, who made a fortune out of telling people what not to wear. When Richard and I were married, we wore clothes which reflected the importance of the occasion. And you might recognize the old church there. But when we go to conservation work at Waiu Park, we choose different clothing. This is our last month's working bee, and you may recognize some people in these pictures. I always remember the time we dressed our youngest, Michael, in a Superman costume for a play center party. He would have been about three and a half to four. We cobbled together bits and pieces and finally stood him in front of a mirror with encouraging cries of, oh, you look great, Mikey. He stood for a minute scrutinizing his image and finally muttered, I look like a dick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Must have got that word from his older brothers and sisters. <laughs> Clothing needs to be appropriate, which I quickly discovered at that fancy dress party on the boat. In the early church, the new believer was clothed in a white garment symbolic of the righteousness of Christ after their baptism. Jew and Gentile alike were dressed in the same garment. In a way, Paul's saying to us, your appropriate clothing for each day is to put on Christ. As you can tell, a footballer's team by the strip he or she wears, so people can see that you belong to Christ by looking at your life. Guzik says, some people might wonder if this is only play acting, if it is really an illusion, like a child playing dress up. The answer is simple. It's only an illusion if there is no spiritual reality behind it. In this verse, Paul really speaks of the spiritual reality. Those who were baptized into Christ really have put on Christ. Now they are called to live each day consistent with the spiritual reality. Are we reminding ourselves each new day that we have put on Christ? asking him for his cleansing, his forgiveness, his righteousness, his glorious covering, covering which identifies us as belonging to him. In Colossians, Paul says, so, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. 
Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you wear, you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Yes, I know, we can't do this in our own strength, but we ask Christ each day to renew us. And as we make big and small choices to follow him and obey his word, he clothes us with himself. The person who has received Christ by faith has then put Christ on as a garment. His nature, his presence, his power, all that wraps around us and envelops us. Neither the Galatians nor us are to deny our new identity in the Lord Jesus by going back under the law. Get used to different. Finally, Paul hammers home his point with these glorious and powerful verses, stunning in their revolutionary impact. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hang on, Paul. We're good at finding reasons to make ourselves distinct from others. We're good at drawing lines between denominations, races, political parties. No, no. Paul makes himself very clear. We are all one in Christ Jesus. At that time, the rabbis quoted a morning prayer that was popular among many Jews of that day. In that prayer, the Jewish man would thank God that he was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Paul takes each of these categories and shows them to be equal in Jesus. Neither Jew nor Gentile. There is no place for racial prejudice. This is amazing. Some would have Paul exclude some of the Christians from a Gentile background because they hadn't come under the law of Moses. Paul includes them saying, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Others might have Paul exclude some of the Christians from a Jewish background because their theology was wrong on this point and Paul needed to correct them. Paul includes them, saying, you are all one in Christ Jesus. At the foot of the cross, any dividing line between races is done away with, whichever way it goes. There are no divisions in the body of Christ on the basis of race, ethnic origin, skin color, or national origin. neither slave nor free. There is no place for class or social prejudice. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The same thing is true regarding social classes. Slave and free walk hand in hand into the family of God. This would have been an astounding thought in the first century. But in the Christian church, you might have a slave who was an elder giving spiritual oversight to a slave owner. 
The class distinctions that matter so much in the world, rich versus poor, middle class versus upper class, old money versus new money, etc., etc., are not to dominate the Christian church. Do we allow social differences to subtly change our attitudes and responses to others? Do we even think in terms of classes? Do we draw lines between ourselves and those whose economic group is different from ours? These are lines that Jesus died on the cross to erase. Neither male nor female, there is no place for prejudice based on gender. Men and women are saved in exactly the same way. This means that a Gentile slave woman would have exactly the same rights in the eyes of God as a Jewish free man. God doesn't play favorites and neither should we. I love that Jesus' very first appearance as the risen Lord was to Mary Magdalene, a woman who had had many challenges which would have hampered her role in society before she met Jesus. Not to Peter, not to John, but to Mary. I became a member of this church at age 16, and a few years later I was asked to put my name forward for the diaconate, which was entirely male at that time. We all knew I wouldn't get on, but it marked a shift. And quite some time later, Anthea Hyes, whom many of you will remember, became the first woman elder. Interesting, isn't it? And that's within my lifetime. Rob has often reminded us to read scripture in context, and if we do so here, it's clear that Paul is saying that our earthly identifiers create no value distinction between us in our Father's eyes. Differences in ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status do not magically disappear, of course, but Paul declares them to be irrelevant in the body of Christ. For one to be baptized into Christ means being closed with Christ and finding one's primary identity and value in Christ. John Stott says, when we say that Christ has abolished these distinctions, we mean not that they do not exist, but that they no longer create any barriers to fellowship. Paul isn't writing about a unity that comes about as a result of human achievement. He is saying that when people are saved by Jesus Christ, they are brought into a marvelous unity a unity between the saved and the saviour, and a unity that binds everyone together who is saved. Each true believer loves and stands in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we look at another believer, we see them in Christ. We don't see the believer, but we see Christ covering the believer. We pay no attention to their colour, nationality, sex, social status, age, or any other differences. Differences just do not matter. All that matters is that we all grow into the image of Christ 
love and accept one another in God's family. As John Stott says, there is, I'll just read it, might have to go back, I guess. No, we're there. Okay. What's that? Hmm, looks like it didn't get put on. Oh, no, there's part of it. Yeah, there's one bit, but there's a whole whole lot in the middle. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. There's a three-dimensional attachment which we gain when we are in Christ in height, breadth, and length. In its height, it connects us to God. And, and we had a wee arrow going, <laughs> going up just to give you an idea of what was meant to be there. In its breadth, it connects us with each other in Jesus. In its length, it connects us with the long line of God's people throughout all ages. We find our place in eternity, in society, and in history. And here we are on the right one. It enables me to answer the most basic of all human questions. Who am I? And to say, in Christ, I am a child of God. In Christ, I am united to all the redeemed people of God, past, present, and future. In Christ, I discover my identity. In Christ, I find my feet. In Christ, I come home. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking down the barriers which divide us. Thank you that the ground is level at the foot of your cross. Thank you that you call us whoever we are and that we can come to you just as we are and that we can have fellowship one with another because of your love. We can get used to different because our identity is found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.